You're listening to the Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts, Howard Schweitzer and Mark Alderman. Well, Howard, good morning. Good morning to our listeners. Uh, Good morning, America. We are a country at war with an invisible enemy. Government at all levels, local, state, federal, has mobilized for battle, arguably slow to the battle, but now the fight is joined fast and furious. It's what Churchill said about us, the uh, United States always does the right thing, it just always does it late. So let's talk about what's happening, Howard. Uh, I have talked to you countless times in the last 24, 48 hours because all of our clients and colleagues want to know what government is doing. Right. And that's what we're here to share. Tell us what what you're hearing, Howard. Well, first of all, Mark, let me apologize in advance for barking dogs and screaming kids that may occasionally appear in the podcast. I know like pretty much every call I'm on, there's background noise. So um, apologies in advance. Are, are you in Emily's studio? I know I have been moved out. <laughs> I have been moved out. And by the way, our colleague Jim Schultz was supposed to join us today, but he disappeared at the last minute. So the Trump administration is fair game. For purposes True. of the small mark. In fairness so, to our friend Jim, he he had family complications. Right. So, Mark, there are so many things happening, it's hard to catalog them, but there's there's legislative action, there's administrative action, and then there's a plethora of things happening across the country on a state and local level. So so let's go through them. Good. Let's let's start legislatively, since that's actually what we do for a living. The um, there is a House bill that the House passed in the wee hours of Saturday morning, Friday night, um, and then amended on Monday that grants certain relief public health measures, free testing for people who can't afford it, and income protection for certain categories of, of workers. That Aid, sick leave, and various other workplace protections. Unemployment insurance and their tax credits. That's principally a bill for smaller businesses uh, and employees of smaller businesses, up to five businesses with up to 500 employees. That bill is now sitting in the Senate. The Senate is going to pass that bill. It was negotiated between Speaker Pelosi and Steve Mnuchin, the Secretary of the Treasury. It's now at the Senate. McConnell said yesterday, Senate Majority Leader said yesterday, that he is going to hold his nose and pass the House bill. He cannot afford not to pass that bill, given what the financial markets are doing and and where the American people find themselves. So that bill is going to become law. And to interrupt, if I may, for just 30 seconds, just to continue the uh, government process education for our, our listeners, 
A bill obviously has to pass the House and the Senate and be signed by the president. Were the Senate to change anything in that bill, it would be delay because it would have to go back to the House, even if it's a comma or a semicolon. The president has endorsed this bill. And that's why, as you say, Howard, we expect that to be on his desk very soon. Except there's exactly zero chance that this isn't going to become law. So that's getting done. Now, there are a lot of things that Republicans don't like about that bill, and they're going to try to change them through subsequent rounds of of legislation. We can talk about that. Um, But this is a bill that was fundamentally negotiated between the administration and the Speaker of the House. And And as we have said to clients, just to put not a partisan, but a political point on it. Speaker Pelosi has the leverage here. 100%. Expound on that. Speaker Pelosi and Schumer are driving this. Yeah. It's a matter of who owns the crisis. First of all, they set the tone by coming out two Sundays ago with their list of requirements for immediate legislation. They spoke first. Second of all, for better or for worse, like it or not, the Trump administration owns this crisis. It's on Trump's watch, and that is the way people are looking at it, by and large. And so politically, and and they can't do anything without the the House. So Nancy has the leverage, and she's going to use it. And it's a redux, if you will, of something that you and I both lived through in the financial crisis. When Obama came to office, he owned the crisis, however it began. It was his when he took the oath to get his stimulus measure passed, even though Democrats had a majority in the House and the Senate, they didn't have 60 votes in the Senate. To get his stimulus passed, he needed three Republican votes, and those three Republicans had all the power in Washington at that time. We're going to see a version of that as this plays out. Yeah, and the the two main Republican objections to the to the original House bill, which the House then tweaked, were the following. One was um, don't permanently expand the federal bureaucracy, number one. And the other was don't make long-term permanent non-crisis coronavirus crisis-related policy um, through through legislation. Keep it focused on, on coronavirus. So while the original House bill had major expansions and sick leave pay permanent and had the social security administration administering certain aspects of um, relief that was all scaled back. So those were the two markers for the Republicans in in the original house negotiation. And they did get what they wanted because you need the administration and the Republicans as well. And they were, they were very reasonable in the way they approached this. Um, Which brings us to what happens next. So there's been an emergency spending bill signed by the president. There will be within 
days at the outside, if not only hours. This workplace-focused emergency measure signed by the president. And then there is Howard, as you have been hearing all weekend and, and all week, as we've been discussing with our colleagues and clients, there is what comes next to stimulate a badly damaged economy. Stimulus and bailouts and quotes and recovery that right. the, um, you know, there are obviously badly bruised industries, the well, airline we're, industry. We're very, our listeners are very lucky to have the bailout king <laughs> on the phone here. So isn't that your expertise? Yeah. What a great <laughs> moniker. Um, so it's, it's industry bailouts. Um, and and economic stimulus obviously the economy is taking a beating and this is going to i mean we're you and i are hearing about companies left and right that are on the brink of bankruptcy and and going out of business at, and that are laying people off in fact and small businesses obviously slammed to the wall by this but we are also talking to middle market companies and very, very big companies that are at risk. This is this is as serious as the financial crisis with the added public health disaster. So I, I think it's 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 different and it's even it's much it's more serious. It's more wide ranging. You're talking about bringing the economy to a halt. I mean, that's fundamentally what is going on people in the financial crisis i mean believe me we were on the brink there were many nights where i went home and by the way going home meant going home to shower and come back to the office um, and maybe get an hour of sleep but many nights where i went home where i didn't know whether we were going to make it or not and people were scared out there and the financial markets were going crazy but I don't think that the average person understood how close we came to the brink. In this case, every single person in the United States of America knows where we are because everybody's experiencing it. Everybody's part of it. And, and you know, the Fed in this case, I mean, look, the financial markets are obviously going crazy. Stocks, everybody knows what they're doing. We don't have to repeat that. Um, but the Fed has massively intervene they have a playbook they can dust off from 0809 to make sure that credit keeps flowing you know hopefully that doesn't go haywire people aren't god forbid this happens but they're not you know there aren't there aren't runs on the bank that's what was happening that's what the fear was in 0809 when um money market funds um, started to dip below par, people started to go get their money. And and that was the concern that that there were going to be runs on the bank. Right now, there are runs on grocery stores, um, which isn't, frankly, the end of the world. But what we do have is what was more akin to what we did in 0809 for the auto industry. It's That was an industry bailout. They had to go through bankruptcy to get the bailout, but it was an industry bailout, you know, with hotels, with airlines, with 
all sorts of industries that are affected by this. Um, that's what people are seeking. That's what companies are seeking in in this context. And and there's certainly a tremendous amount of work going on to see that they're part of a stimulus package. The um, the the popular wisdom in Washington right now, if you read the political papers is that the Senate's staying in session and they're going to do a stimulus package quickly. Warp speed, I believe the uh, majority leader said. It surprised me that he even knew those words, but so so be it. Uh, We don't see warp speed being how this happens, right? No, it's just, it's too complicated. First of all, we may see a package or a series of bills. I think we'll, we'll see a series of bills over the next few months that are designed to address various aspects of, of the crisis. Um, this isn't going to be one fell swoop. I mean, the, we don't even know what the impacts are. So how can they legislate broadly when they don't know what they're legislating toward? And, and, Nothing moves as quickly as as they want it to. So I, I see it taking much more time so than people are projecting. I, I agree. That's what we know from our experience in the financial crisis, just to look at the only precedent we have. It took a while for the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act, the uh, Obama-Biden stimulus to get passed. And and this too, we know will not happen this week. This is a matter of weeks, if not indeed months with a stage, uh, staging, a sequencing of, of relief. But let's deconstruct what we do know and, and talk about how are the couple elements that we can, can look forward to uh, watching uh, payroll tax. The president is going to propose, has proposed, a payroll tax relief of some sort. Is that going to be a piece of this pack package, we think? It may, but there's going to be a lot of horse trading that goes on. And Speaker Pelosi has said she doesn't think that that should be part of it. So I think we'll, we'll have and to that's see that's because possible. her view and the view of many is that that doesn't benefit enough people. Right. And doesn't, doesn't benefit, benefit the people. hardest hit people. Right. Right. Correct. You have to have a job for the payroll tax reduction relief to help you. And the objection of the Democrats to that is that we should be focusing on the people who have lost exactly. their job. Another element uh, that we hear about, I'm, I'm starting with the president's proposal, uh, which I don't think we've seen in writing yet, but the outline of it we, we've heard a lot about. Another element of that is small business relief. Talk to us about, about the form that that will take. We know that politically there will be a small business relief package in whatever passes, but what does that look like? It's not writing checks. It's not a grant no. program. No, and the existing... A couple things on small business. One, the existing House bill is focused primarily at helping small business to the extent it helps business. Two, there are existing programs through the Small Business Administration um, and other government agencies 
to lend or guarantee lending for small businesses. So those that's relatively relatively easy to administer because there are existing programs and mechanisms in place. So I think that's very doable and very like so X hundred billion dollars for small business is funding an existing small business lending infrastructure. Right. Now, look, part of the issue here is timing. And the government is not, the government is a cruise ship, not a speedboat. And I don't care. I mean, even in the worst of times. I hope the government's doing better than the cruise ship. Fair enough. Fair enough. Bad, bad, bad metaphor. Let's call it a sailboat instead of a motorboat. Okay. (laughs) Sailboat, not a speedboat. Right. Okay. Um, I don't know, Mark. It may be a cruise ship right now, but that's a whole different discussion. That's the political discussion. Um, Mark, the um, things take time. And, you know, in, in 08, 09, I got to Treasury and we, I, you know, I got into the building. Um, it was basically on the job less than 24 hours after the crisis, after I, I interviewed for it. And I found myself in. Hank Paulson's conference room with the assembled staff, which was at that point a pretty skeleton staff. And we had to get money out the door to the major money center banks that were the first to receive capital infusions because um, that was the way to send the signal to the marketplace. And Hank Paulson went around the room. We all talked about what how we th- saw we were going to go about doing it. He said, get it done. I won't take no for an answer and don't blank it up. And, and he got up and left and we figured out how to get money out the door to the nine major money center banks. But that was a Herculean task and it happened quickly, but it didn't happen overnight. Things take time, even in the worst of times. And this small business, small businesses are going to get money, but it's going to be months, not days or weeks. And and your experience, of course, which you just uh, shared, was immediately post TARP, which was only the first step. It took months for the stimulus legislation to to work its way through. Exactly, exactly. So one last piece before we uh, pivot from the the stimulus uh, airlines. The president has talked about $50 billion for the airlines. A couple of questions, and you and I have been talking a lot with clients and and colleagues and each other over the last 48 hours about, about this piece of the puzzle. Airlines, cruise ships, hospitality, what's your view of the hierarchy of industries that are going to be, quote, bailed out. And again, what does a bailout look like? It Again, just so everybody is clear, it it's not writing checks. No, a bailout looks like guaranteed loans. It's a full faith and credit promise on, on the part of the U.S. government that um, if the borrower, in this case, an airline, 
can't repay the loan, the government will. I don't know exactly what form this will end up taking. Um, it's still taking shape, but it, it's some form of guarantee of U.S. government full faith and credit lending. And and just to connect some dots, it is unlikely to be the lending of government money, right? It is probably private borrowing backed by the government, which means the credit markets have to remain liquid. Listen, if the credit markets aren't remaining liquid, we're in a whole different discussion. Different, different podcast. <laughs> different, <laughs> different podcast. That's all that's that's yeah. part two, Mark. Yeah. Different but podcast. Look, the airlines are at the top of the list for optics purposes. Okay. People right. they're so everybody gets it. Everybody has has canceled a flight. Right. They're so visible. They're so integral to our national transportation infrastructure that I think the concern is that if you let a United Airlines or an American go under, that it, well, it looks it looks things look even more bleak than they already look. Both so, of which, by the way, have already been through bankruptcy. Right. So they're exactly so they're um, and they're also concentrated businesses. You know, there are only a handful of them, and they're owned kind of uniformly, these other businesses are are very diffuse in the way the industry operates. So um, the hotel business, for example, operates mostly under a franchise model where the actual owners of local hotels are different than the brands under which they're flagged. So it's a much more diffuse industry in the sense that who needs to get the relief is not concentrated in the hands of a few companies. So it's much easier to get relief out to the airline industry because you just, you know who you're dealing with, right? It's less complicated. And as you um, move down that food chain, uh, hospitality may be second on the list. We're on the Hill and in the administration, virtually, of course, uh, by phone, on behalf of the hospitality industry, we are doing the same for the shopping center industry, which is even more diffuse than hospitality and is even more challenging because in that case, it, it is more relief for the tenants of the landlords than it is for the landlords themselves, since what the landlords need is rent to be paid. Right. And the shutdown of retail, restaurant, gyms, and more and more is pushing uh, up against the wall a lot of landlords uh, as their tenants. Yeah. And Mark, you and I are getting a lot of questions about whether it's too late to be in this conversation and, and, and whether you can have a conversation at all. Um, can you reach people on Capitol Hill? Can you talk to people? Well, if, yeah. if, if, if you could see a screenshot of my calendar for this afternoon, I've got wall-to-wall -wall calls with Capitol Hill. Fortunately, we're in a mobile world. Everybody knows how to get in touch. And you and I have been wall to wall emailing and talking to people by phone in the administration and on Capitol Hill 
who who are at the forefront of this thing they're remarkably accessible and I am absolutely telling people that it is not too late. In fact, it's, it's, I don't think it's late at all. It's, it's you gotta not too late, but it for sure is not too early. These conversations right. are happening. Uh, I just checked my phone and found several email replies from Senate and house offices to emails that went out this morning about some of this. So the, the message to our listeners who are interested in being heard in this debate is not too late, not too early. Now's the time. Yeah. Um, and we'll see what happens. I, as I said, I think it takes much more time than people are predicting. Well, let, let's pivot, though, for, for the remaining time to state and local. What's been happening, uh, state and local, is the frontline response. Right. And what that is, in a word, in many places, is lockdown. And we have been very busy, crazy busy, working with clients and colleagues who want to know what it means when Governor Wolf says, that Montgomery County is shut down? What does it mean when Mayor Kenny says that Philadelphia is shut down? What does it mean when Governor Wolf exp expands the shutdown to the whole state? I know you've been working, Howard, nationally with what it means for the security guard industry, for example, that everybody is shut down. And I, I will say that uh, there has been a slow start, but there has been a furious catching up on the part of local and state government. And in the, in the craziness, there is still access. And we have been talking to mayor's offices, to governor's offices, and getting guidance for our clients on who's essential, who's not, on what does it mean to have a skeleton staff. Uh, some of that advice being for Cozen O'Connor, your favorite law firm itself. So right. what, what are you hearing out there uh, about that dimension of this? Well, it's a huge dimension of this. We've got, you've got a patchwork of orders across the country, varying county to county, state to state, and businesses that don't know whether they have to send, they can send their employees to, to work or not, the orders are vague and uh, people are, yes, people are accessible, but um, at the end of the day, business is being left to interpret uh, in many cases and, and frankly make good judgments. In some cases, the orders are mandatory orders. In some cases, they're more discretionary. So it's an enormously complicated environment, particular, well, for everybody, but, you know, with clients, like the clients that you, you reference, we're advising an industry on, on what to do. Um, it's enormously complicated. So um, that there's been a very steady stream of questions throughout the firm for clients in that regard. And that, that stream may 
slow as people figure it out and shut down, but we are certainly here if we can help any of our friends, clients, colleagues, listeners with questions about how to comply with these these important but confusing rules. And in, the, go yeah. ahead, please. No, I was going to say that the yeah the the questions are concentrated in labor and employment kind of issues and this essential kind of business continuity type of issue. I think that's this this and then relief, economic relief. Those are kind of the three first first three buckets of of things that that are that are emerging so much more is going to follow mark you're deeply um involved in the healthcare industry representing healthcare clients but also also sitting on the board of of a healthcare enterprise or chairing a board of a healthcare enterprise let's talk about that a little bit and then let's go back and talk for for a few minutes about the administration's response and and what that looks like good Yes, we will circle back after uh, a minute or two or three here on healthcare. But thank you for for asking about that because I do want to say, without being uh, specific uh, uh, to the particular enterprise that that I was talking uh, with yesterday, a number of healthcare enterprises, uh, we should all be. Uh, more grateful than ever for the work that is being done in the frontline healthcare response to this crisis. I was privileged yesterday to chair a four-hour Zoom board meeting of a very significant uh, healthcare system here in southeastern Pennsylvania, and it was sobering, and it is scary, and they are focused on the lack of testing for which they blame government, and they are focused on the lack of equipment for which they blame government, but they are resolute and they are committed. And it was ultimately a very uplifting and and inspiring experience to hear from the men and women, uh, doctors, nurses, others who are actually still working and are going to be working and are going to be exposed, exposed to the virus, are going to be exposed to the impossible decisions about what to do when choices have to be made in a shortage of, uh, of testing and equipment. And thank God for them is, is the message that I, that I want to communicate. But bringing that back to to our conversation here, they are hurting also. They are financially crushed by this in the same way, in a different way, not the same way. They are open and most of their employees are, are working, some remotely, most can't. You can't run an emergency room remotely. But they too are talking to us about relief, and they too are are suffering economically. Although, again, it is it is awesome that their focus is on taking care of people, and they'll worry about the money next. But I will say, Howard, 
And this brings us back to what you wanted to conclude with. Let's get back to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Uh, A lot of the people I'm talking to are Republicans. A lot of the people I'm talking to I've been arguing with for years now about President Trump. And all of them, to a, a man and woman, are mad as hell that we are in the hole we're in when it comes to the testing and and the equipment, and they blame him. Yeah, not well, to, to make this partisan, just trying to be factual at this very difficult time. But there is an anger, and I find it factually justified. There is an anger at the administration's mishandling of this crisis. Well, politics never goes away. And there's a political dimension to this. Like it or not, that's that. this is an election year, and it wouldn't matter if it wasn't an election year. This is an election year, and um, people are, and Trump owns the crisis. He's the president, just like he got the benefit of a good economy. And I'm not talking about the economic dimension only, but just like he got the benefit of a strong economy, whether he was responsible for it or not, uh, he he owns, he's in charge right now. And things undeniably haven't gone well. The testing is an utter fiasco. And it's mystifying to me that Kevin Durant on the new... And the Brooklyn Nets can get tested when he has no symptoms because he's on the Brooklyn Nets. But my friend who's a breast cancer oncologist at Mass General in Boston can't get tested when multiple colleagues on staff at Mass General have tested positive. So I, it, it's it, it, it makes no sense. And look, that's not all about Trump, but Trump is the face of it. He he needs to go away. Like in 0809, which obviously I keep referring to because it's what I lived, the presidents were not front and center. Bush wasn't and Obama wasn't. We talked about this last week. It's you got to have somebody else running point. Fortunately for him, I mean, look, I don't think it should be run out of the White House, but I think Pence is an infinitely, I think he's doing a good job um, such as it is. He's projecting. I think um, I agree. I er, Everything is compared to what? Compared right. to the president's disgraceful misperformance, Pence is at least calm. Is it you can't least- go out. You can't go out and say to people it's under control when it isn't. Like, yes, for three years, we've been getting tweet after tweet after tweet, and we've kind of become numb to it to the point where the president's words matter less than they did three years ago or four years ago or 20 years ago, when like literally every single word any president said was given the utmost um, analysis, was was analyzed to death. But But we're back there. And every single word that the president said is going to be scrutinized to high heaven. And the words he's choosing are just not the right words. I mean, whether you're for him or against him to say, and and look, we're all rooting for this to go well. Um, This is not fundamentally a partisan or political issue. Right. We're all rooting for it to go well. We're not rooting against Donald Trump. 
He's just no, not handling to, it well. To the contrary, and, and it's critical to be absolutely clear about this. We all need to root for Donald Trump because he is the president of the United States at this time of extreme crisis. But what Donald Trump can do in this crisis as an act of leadership is to stand down and let the people who know what they're talking about manage us through this. That would be politically advantageous for him, although I am hardly looking to give him good political advice. But far, far, far more important, it would be good for the country if he would just simply step off that stage and let the vice president and Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burke and the rest get us through this thing. And I will... uh, bet you dinner. It may be a little while before I can deliver. If I lose the bet, we're not going to see one another. Mark, you can pay for a takeout. You can pay for takeout. I'll pay for takeout for the five of you now that uh, Emily's home. I will pay for takeout if I'm wrong, but I'm not wrong, Howard. He's not doing that. He's not getting off the stage. No, And and that is a national shame, right? Well, it's it's just the wrong way to approach it. I mean, fundamentally the wrong way to approach it. And I mean, he's not even, pro- the, let, the let, optics matter tremendously. You you have to, you can't get up there in a crowded, I mean, some of it is like stagecraft. You can't get up there in a crowded room full of people packed in together on a stage yep. and then go tell the country that they have to <laughs> practice social distancing. Like some of this it's, stuff surreal and disgraceful and let's let's end on uh on a different though highly related note in in the minute or two we have left congratulations to joe biden for securing the nomination he doesn't of course have a majority of delegates yet he will of course will be very interesting to see what Bernie Sanders does. He is not going to be the nominee, but how he gets out is very important to the Biden candidacy. I I am going to take just 10 seconds to say that I tried to tell you all along that Biden was going to limp to the finish line. I had moments of doubt along the way, but just a couple, but here, Mark. But here we are. When Ethan Alderman told me I was the only person in America left who thought Biden would be president, he, he was probably right then. He's wrong now, and and we shall see. I look forward very much to talking with our our listeners with one another. Maybe Jim can join us next time. Let's hope it looks a little bit better a week from now when we next uh, convene. And let's hope we can eventually get back to the fun stuff, which is talking about how Biden's going to beat Trump and end this nightmare. Well, Mark, I got a, a text yesterday from a friend of mine with a you know one of these funny things going around. It says, no toilet paper, food, or medical supplies in many stores, people waiting in line. It's like Bernie already won the election. Uh, Fortunately, fortunately, Mark, there's toilet paper in Denmark. I don't think that's fair. It's not going to come to that. Uh, Thank goodness, because can you imagine if um, given where we are, that were the choice we were, that were the choice we were facing, 
I hope that the Democratic Party puts your friend Joe Biden in a hermetically sealed bubble for the next eight months. Gotta stay safe. I mean, that is of the utmost importance. And Mark, let's not sugarcoat this. Yes, we look forward to getting back to talking about politics, but I think we should devote a future episode for our our vast and wide audience here to the impacts on the election, because there are going to be. There are going to be many. Already, obviously, have been uh, with primaries rescheduled and the politics of voting by mail. That is a subject that needs its own podcast. Yeah. So that's where we are. We look forward to continuing to talk with all of you, Mark, and uh, we'll be back soon. Good. Thanks to all for listening. Stay safe. And and Howard, I'll... I'll get on the client call with you in a couple minutes. Yep, sounds good. Thanks. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Beltway Briefing. If you liked our show, subscribe on iTunes or Spotify. And while you're at it, drop us a rating. To learn more about the Beltway Briefing or Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies, please visit our website at copublicstrategies.com.